Okay, so the last time we discussed the sense of smell and there was a pretty decent feedback. So we decided to continue with the other four senses. I think that's what makes the most sense to do. So that's what we're going to do next. Um, we're going to continue. The sense I decided to go with next, even though I was back and forth, which one to do next. Um, I decided to leave the sense of touch more towards the end. The question was hearing, sight, or taste. And I decided to go with taste. Um, mainly for a couple of reasons. So I want to discuss a little bit the concept of taste. Um, just an interesting fact, because we're giving a share for the ladies. So apparently women have more taste buds than men. I'm not sure what we're supposed to do with that. But uh, maybe at the end of this year, we'll have a little bit of an understanding why it is Hashem made that women have more taste buds. My son, when he found out that girls have more taste buds than boys, was extremely offended. And many, many months later, he still, every will bring it up once in a while, that that's uh, not fear that girls have more taste buds than boys. But, okay, who knows, whatever. Just another proof that there's a biological difference. What? Since when is everything fear? Correct. But anyways, that being said, that being said, actually, last week's parasha, a lot had to do with taste. There's a lot. Yaakov is very, uh, Yitzhak's very busy asking Esau to bring him food that he likes, that tastes good, and Esau is trying, and, and we know that Rivka is making the dish that he likes, and Yaakov brings the dish that he likes, and the Torah emphasizes time and time again about how Yaakov li- Yitzhak likes it and likes it, and it, gets very, it almost gets uncomfortable. We're talking about like Yitzhak Avinu. We're not talking about me and you and you and me that like dishes. Like we go see a good sandwich or a good steak or a good whatever it is, fill in the blank. So it, it gets very uncomfortable, but obviously we ourselves understand that it's a lot deeper than just um, the food, right? We, we get that. What it does mean, I don't know if we'll ever understand. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But it needs to be pointed out that last week's parasha very, very, very much played a role in taste. But in this week's parasha, I think we find it even more um, subtle, but more important idea about taste. And that is Yaakovina goes to sleep and he wakes up after having that amazing dream. And he tells Hashem, here's the deal. If you provide for me bread to eat and water to drink, I accept you as my Hashem. And as if there was like two options at that point, which is also a conversation. But he asks for bread to eat and water to drink. And there's so many questions on this. Obviously, bread is to eat and water is to drink. We don't need to say, Lechem, Lechem, Lubavit, Lubavit. You know, it doesn't have to say that, obviously. And there's a lot of conversations about that. But we see that Yaakov is living the life of a true, for lack of better terms, we use a true ben Torah. Misha says himself this always, that that a person that wants to be successful in learning and his endeavors and Hashem should try to minimize what he eats and how he eats it. It's salt with bread and water. Right? So Yaakov is asking for, you know, I want to be the best Jew I can be. So I'm asking for the beer minimum. I'm asking for the basics, for the necessities. I want bread and I want clothing and I'll be happy with that. But I think that that we, we have to realize, and I think we do realize, that there's a lot more to food. I mean, in the generation we live in, food has become almost a form of idolatry. Almost. The advertisements, the big slices of meat cut that they put, it's, it's become such an emphasis. Food has become such an emphasis in our life. And there's nothing wrong with food. Yiddishkeit and, and everything we do, we celebrate. Yantif, Shabbos, um, Simchis, is all about getting together and having sudas. So... 
it becomes a little bit hard to differentiate when it's okay and when it's totally not okay. And then where is that middle? Like what's holy, what's perverted, and what is normal? So it, it becomes very... It becomes very difficult, and I think that in our generation, we see this way more than ever. I think it's just with the times, and it keeps coming worse and worse. Um, and I'd like to understand why that is. I'd like to talk about, perhaps, why that has become like that. Why, why is it? So when we discussed the shear on the sense of smell, we elaborated that the only one of the faculties that man has, the five, the five senses that he has, the only one that didn't get affected was the sense of smell. We said that Adam... Uh, touched it, have touched it. Um, it looked delicious. It tasted delicious, and she, right, and she ate it. So obviously, she did everything, and she listened to the satan, and she listened to the snake. So she did all the five senses she used wrongly, except for sense of smell, and that's what we discussed then. Why the sense of smell is so pure and so pristine till today. But to be totally honest, the one that was probably the most defiled is is the taste. Is the eating. Because that's the one Hashem said, don't eat. So even though she touched and she listened and she liked what it looked like, those were three problems that she did as well. But the main issue and what got us into the situation that we are today and that we, if, had she only touched it, would it have been wrong? Probably. Maybe. Maybe not. We could argue. If she would have looked at it, would it have been wrong? Maybe. I don't know. But everything became wrong once she ate it. Once she ate it, once she gave Adam to eat it, eat of it, once man ate of it, that's when the looking became a problem, the touching became a problem, the seeing became, everything became a problem. So eating is essentially the source of all the problems. Now, that being said, the Reb Tzadik HaKoyin of Lublin writes in his Sefer Machshav Eschorutz, and I don't necessarily fully grasp what he's saying, but he says that most evil starts with food. That's just the way most evil is. You know, a person gets into a Gluttonous mood or drinking, eating and drinking. It doesn't only mean doesn't only mean eating. It means consumption, right? So drinking alcohol, obviously, we understand that that's a that's a problem. Um, or, but also, when a person is vayishman yeshurin the Torah talks about when a person is so satiated, life is so good, he has everything that he needs. Life is just a pleasure. It could lead to a very slippery slope when people have it a little bit rough. When we were in the ghettos, people weren't going off the derech. It didn't happen. Because we were just, first of all, they weren't interested in us. Where were you going? I mean, we, no one's accepting you. You're a yid and you're a yid. But when they were so busy trying to survive, to put bread on the table and have something to put on to, to live, to wear, there, there, was no, there, was no, there was no going astray. Today, with the abundancy that we have, and Baruch Hashem, let Hashem continue giving the abundancy. But there becomes an Isayan. Once we have it so good, we have what to eat, we have what to wear, we have roofs over our heads, generally speaking. And we live in a country that if you can't, they take care of that as well. So it ends up being that we see, we see the struggles that the generation is dealing with. A lot of it comes, I'm, I'm using the word food, but it means from abundance. Food is just a way of describing abundance. That, that, that's just the way it is. There's a, there's a known segula that a lot of people do, even at the Nachasidish. The Remendel of Rimenov said that on Tuesday, Parsha's Bishalach, if you say Shnai Mekavechatargum, the Parsha of the Mon, Parsha Saman, if you say Shnai Mekavechatargum, you'll become rich. Every man, you go to any shul, it could be a Yakisha shul, they'll, they'll say it also. Because a school for, for Ashiris, I mean, nobody, that's, you know, that, that works. 
So the story goes that Reb Matasio Solomon was once, for whatever reason, in Manhattan. He was going fundraising for whatever thing that he was going for. And he walked into an office, and there was this young guy that just went to work. And it was Tuesday, Parshish Mishalach, and it was during like a little break. And he took out his thing to do, uh, to do Ishnah Targum. He wanted to make sure that he's going to be able to, you know, keep a job and get a raise and, and be able to live. And the boss walks in to, and he comes out to, to meet Yermat Yisrael Solomon to bring him into his office. He sees, he says, oh, you're doing the Shnai Merkavachatagam thing. Ah, it's a waste of time. It's not going to work. He says, I've been doing it for 15 years, 50 years. It doesn't work. Yermat Yisrael Solomon got very offended, obviously. Now, he's no chassid. He's not here to defend the chassidish segula. But the way he talks, so he turns to this Baal in front of the employee and he says to him, he says, did you ever go to sleep, ever, hungry? Did you ever say, oh my gosh, what am I going to eat tomorrow? He says, no. He says, maybe it's because you said for the past 50 years, Parashat Samon. We imagine that the Parashat Samon, the school is, I'm going to have billions, and maybe if I'm lucky enough, I'll also have trillions. Who says? The fact that you have bread to eat and water to drink tomorrow morning, and you don't go to sleep with hunger pains, which our grandparents did. A hundred years ago, our grandparents went to sleep, their stomachs were grumbling, the kids were crying, they haven't eaten in a day. So What? It's not going to work? But there's, a, there's an unbelievable... Shefa that Hashem has given our generation. And the question is, why? I don't know why, but I'm just here to suggest perhaps something that we could take with us. There's a, a Pusik um, that we perhaps need to, need to bring out more. That is, the Pusik Dabra Melch says, Tamu Let's skip the word tamu for a second because that's the word we want to focus on. But let's just go for now. Try out and you'll see. Ru. Kitav Hashem. That Hashem is good. Ashrei Ageva Loki is the person, Yechaz boy that has faith and trust in HaKadosh Baruch It's such, it's such an important Pasuk on so many different levels. On so many different levels. But Dabra Melech started the Pasuk with tamu ru. Why do you start out with taste and see? You can taste Hashem? You can taste emuna. Is that something you can taste? What does he mean by tamru? He should say duuru, no and see, or look around and see. What does he mean taste and see? So a lot of rishonim therefore explain that tamu does not mean taste. Tamu does not mean taste. Tamu means no, and they bring proofs from other places in Tanakh. Tamu means understand and know. That's a great way to get out of the question, but I think the question is still we know many times. Tam means taste. So what's the message over here? There's a... There's a... I mean, as, a, as, as everybody knows, that when you get a child, you want to give them a, a dish to eat. And it's something they never saw yet. It's sometimes very difficult. Certain children are very difficult to get them to eat that dish. Even though it's delicious, and you made it knowing that this child will love this dish. This is so that child's type, the child will put up a fight and not want to taste it. And you have to beg and plead. And you made the dish specifically for his or her taste buds. And they will not even try. And what does the mother say? What does the father say? Just, just taste it. You don't even have to swallow it. Put it in your mouth and taste it. If you like it, you'll eat it. If you don't, don't. But why are you not tasting it? Why, won't you, why aren't you willing to taste it? What is, what is tasting? Tasting is essentially, I'm doing it, but not just yet. I'm, I'm willing to try, but I'm not committed yet. Right? We know in Allah, on a fast day... Maybe we shouldn't publicize this for the women, whatever. I'll be Allah on a fast day. You're allowed to taste the food you're making. 
Do you have to spit it out or not? Do you have to spit it out or not? Ask your local male Orthodox rabbi. I've yes. I hear that. One thing I do. So when, when you're making, let's say, I'm not, not Yom Kippur. Don't, don't do it to Yom Kippur and don't do it on Tishbo. But let's say you're fasting on Sarbatevis. I know, oh. so a lot of you are like, ah, who cares? I don't even fast the rest of the fast. It's only Tishbo Yom Kippur. But let's say you decide you're fasting. Yom Kippur, obviously. Um, but let's say you decide, even Tishbo might be, might be mutter, depending on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. But let's say, sorry, but if you decide you're fasting, it's a short fast. It ends up being only anyways to like 4.30, 5 o'clock. You want to try it. And sadly, your kids and husband suffer, but it is what it is, right? You try it. Okay. So you, you try it, and now you're making your son a, a soup or for your husband to break his fast on. Imagine if you don't taste it, or what, if your kids want to eat supper and, and you don't taste to make sure that it has the right flavoring. You, you, you might, yeah, you know what can end up happening, right? Okay. The halacha is that you're allowed to taste it. Now, you let it swallow it or not, I'm not, I'm not here to paskin, speak to whoever you speak to when you get your shilas. But why? Because tasting is not doing something. Let's just ask a question. Had Chavit tasted the food but not swallowed it, would Hashem, been, Hashem have been very angry at her? Hashem said, don't eat it. Kind of like when you get a taste of something, you're, it doesn't, like you're taking so a tiny more. step, seeing what it is, and right. seeing well, that's it. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what tasting is. Right. And we beg our children sometimes, I know you don't like I know you don't like davening I know you don't like this I know you don't like learning I know you don't like this change taste it we, we beg all the time from adults and from children once you just taste it and taste it doesn't mean only literally what you put in your mouth basically means try it be open minded to try something a little bit out, out of your comfort zone right? try to describe to somebody I think I find taste fascinating try to describe to somebody that never saw or tasted a banana what a banana look and t- t- looks and tastes like it's, it's not something, it's very hard to describe. So you can, I can do everything I, with all the, 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 the abilities that I have to explain things, nothing will get you ready for when you actually taste that banana. Right? You taste like, mm, I wasn't expecting that. Why? Because it's not, it's very hard to describe a taste. I can describe an imagery, right? When a good, a good storyteller or a good magid could present a picture of, you know, a background of a story, and you could have in your mind's eye what that story is like. A very good maggot, a great storyteller, will have a very hard time describing to you what guacamole tastes like. It, it doesn't work. Taste is something very unique. I can say it tastes something similar to that, but and then the person will say, like, no, that's not, no. I totally didn't see it. There's an interesting thing. When 1970, when Coca-Cola was dominating the beverage market, so Pepsi wanted to get in on it. So Pepsi started what they call the taste test. They tried to convince people in 1970, just taste Pepsi. If you taste Pepsi, you'll see you like Pepsi better than Coke. And in fact, they were very successful. They would make, they made a whole scene out of it. They would take 100 people, they would take cups. We know this from the carnival, the Coke and Pepsi thing. And they did this. Pepsi did this. Pepsi invented this idea, this carnival booth. Carnival booth. They put down both and people with, with unbelievable success were saying Pepsi. So Pepsi was convinced, oh, you see, we got people to say that Pepsi's better. Whether you personally like Pepsi or Coke, we can do that aside for now. But Pepsi was, fu- was finding that an overwhelming majority was picking Pepsi, not Coke. Yet in their bottom line, they weren't seeing it. They couldn't see that Pepsi was, people were still buying Coke. Marketing. And they couldn't figure out why. First they thought it was marketing, and then they thought it was messaging, and then they thought it was, and they came to the conclusion and it's a very hard conclusion to, to, to hear when you're a company. But Pepsi is good 
for 10 seconds. Pepsi's not good for an, a whole can or for a whole cup because Pepsi is very sweet. So for the first second, which one do you like better? Of course you're picking Pepsi. But in the long run, do you want to buy a two liter bottle of Coke or Pepsi? Everybody would rather take the Coke because it's not as sweet, but it has a lasting effect. When you taste something... Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm the expert. But anybody here agree with that? Yeah, you agree. Pepsi is definitely sweeter, but you can't drink a lot of it. Mountain Dew is definitely a very sweet juice, but how much can you drink of that? I mean, you feel like there's a, this, your livers are disintegrating as you're drinking it. You think I'm joking? There was, they That's did, not the first. They did, a, they did a, few, couple months, a couple years ago, there was a lawsuit. Somebody took a mouse, a dead mouse, and put it into a cup of, you can check, check this out, put it into a cup of Mountain Dew, and over a couple of months, the mouse literally disintegrated into nothing. And that's what you're consuming when you consume Mountain Dew. And they were sued. You know that Coke clog toilets? Yeah, Coke has a lot of unbelievable benefits. Yeah. Yes. yes. But, but, but the point is, so why can't we do a lot of it? The answer is because even a good thing, too much is not good. You can, everybody loves candy, right? Most normal healthy people like candle, candy, right? But there's only that much candy that you could go for. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you could, eventually you say, it's not for me. Why? Because when it's all about taste, it's not real. Taste is not a real thing. As the Masil Shashan wants to describe what it means, the concept of taste, he says, it's literally about an inch and a half of enjoyment. Foods that we were so hesitant to eat for about one and a half inches. If you have a big mouth, two inches. Right? How, how much, how, where, where is the taste? Yet we get so hung up on taste. We won't eat certain foods, we won't try certain medicines. The kids put up a... a uh, fuss when you have to give them medicine. So it's N- no, it's also uh, there's also one other family in Muncie besides your family that has this issue that kids don't want to take medicine. That why? It's literally an inch. <laughs> every, every child's like that. No, but some of them love it. Sometimes, yeah. No, we we started those already. Yeah, but but let's be honest. How long? How long does the medicine? It literally takes a second half, and it has such an unbelievable effect on us. Why is that? So, I'm not talking about the eating element of it. I'm talking about the concept of tasting. Because in the, in the concept of eating, there's a lot to talk about. I don't want to talk about the concept but of that eating. that does fill you. Taste or no, eating? No, the eating. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm, yeah, no, 100%. I don't want to talk about the, the eating part of it. The eating part of it is a whole separate avoido. By tzaddikim, you know, you go to, to a very, very big mukubalim or... or or, uh, you know, all the, you know, then you see them eat. It's a whole, you know, I see them go to that rabbit to watch him eat, right? There's something about that, right? There's, there's, there's a dish, right? What, what's the point? He's eating a bowl of soup. I also eat a bowl of soup. The answer is, when he eats a bowl of soup and I eat a bowl of soup, it's different, right? Obviously. That's the answer. Right? Fine. So, and what's the point of that? I can do that too. Would you come watch me? No. The answer is, there's a difference. I wouldn't want you to watch me. Depends how, how, how you act. I, I was, I, ah, so the answer is, it's not the eating they're coming to watch. Exactly, my point. They're not coming to watch you eat. Because eating is not a very beautiful thing to watch. They're coming to watch a person that's a beautiful person, how they also do the mundane things, seemingly, which is eating. No, actually, it's called ASMRs. It's an actual enjoyment of watching people eat. Yes. But Every Hungarian Jewish grandmother has that same enjoyment. Right, but I think it's watching them enjoy the taste of the food. I don't, that I don't know. There's something about when like, you come into your grandmother and she, she wanted you to eat so yeah. badly. She, like, she got full watching you eat. Right? There's something about that. Right? You can't, and I get it. 
And if you, if you even looked a little bit like you didn't eat in the past hour, they would beg you to taste their cake that was a week old, right? But, but that's, 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 there's something about, yeah, that's the way it is. So he is a shaman, I think. 100%. 100%. Now, in, 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 I tried it. I've tried it. It's, it doesn't work very well, but just a, a food for thought, no pun intended. The Bnei Yisrael in Agar de Kala writes, not Agar de Kala, Agar de Pirka, I think, he writes that when, what you're going to watch when you're going to watch somebody eat is you're going to watch how they bring the food to themselves and they don't bring themselves to the food. This is what he writes. Now, I don't know if you ever went to watch a dish. Most Rebbes will sit straight, erect, and the soup comes to them. It's all Rebbes? It's, it's part of... Talks about this and this and this Rebbes. It's, it's part of what you're supposed to do. Like, it's part of what they do. You don't bend yourself to the food. You bring the food to you. Well, it's part of going to Rebbe school. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm not. It's part of how they're brought up. We were told that's how we're supposed to eat. You're never supposed to bring the right. You're supposed to but we also teach so our kids. Could you not bring the sandwich here so like every pastrami ends up on your shirt? <laughs> we also ask the kids like lean over the plate and eat it. Right. So does that does that balance right? But, but a rabbit's not sitting and eating a sandwich. Uh, usually, not when you're around. Correct. Correct. So so the 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 point is that you can't be you can't allow food. To bring the human, which is the highest thing on the food chain, hopefully nothing eats that, right? But the, the, hopefully the food comes up to the human. We raise the food to us. We don't lower ourselves to the food. But I'm not even talking about the eating. I'm talking about the tasting. The Ramach is begging and pleading like a Jewish mother to her child. Why don't you just taste it? If you don't like it, we'll talk about it later. But why don't you taste it? Did you ever have real faith and real trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu? I'm, I'm just going to say over something that, that Mark said about a year and a half ago during one of our conversations when he was about to be connected to a machine. I don't know if everybody remembers that, um, that time. I remember having a conversation with him when they were trying to get him to go onto the machine or not. And he said to me, I, I never, I don't think I ever said this in public, but I'm saying it for the first time. He said to me, he says, you know what I'm going to miss the most when I get better? The relationship I have with Hashem right now. And I, own, I, and I, I, don't, want, I don't want to lose that. Right? Okay, it's too bad that a person has to be put into a bad situation to have that relationship with Hashem. And a lot of people end up getting it through bad situations. But we can all have that situation in a good way. We could have that relationship with Hashem in a very good way. And Dabra Malchus pleading with us. Tamu, why, why don't you just taste it? If you don't like it, we can talk about it afterwards. But, but taste it. And so many people are just not willing to taste it. But as Dessler says, that even when you give your child something to taste, and they do you the world's biggest favor, and they'll take that soup that you made and they'll put it into their mouth, but they're, they're really stubborn, even if they like it, they'll be like, they'll yeah. spit it out. <laughs> why? Let's be honest. You liked it. You know you liked it. So why do you spit it out? And Dessler says, because there's only that much you can do, and the rest of the person has to do himself. Even in everything in life, says, I'm begging you to taste it. I can't make you swallow. I can't make you swallow. You need to have that once you taste it, that you swallow also. But I, I, can't, I can't do anything about that. I could force feed you into, in, into your mouth. What you do from that, from there, is, is not up to me, Dabramel says. So I'm begging you, just taste it. Now, why is it that in the generation that we live today, there's such an emphasis put on food? I think that two things. Two things, and, and it's two sides of the same coin, but it's, it's not really. On the one hand, we know, Chazal say that 
all, once the Churban Abayas happened, all foods lost their taste, their proper taste. Meat doesn't taste the way meat is oh, supposed really? to taste. Wine doesn't taste the way wine is supposed to taste. The fruits don't taste the way they're supposed to taste. Everything is on a diminished state. Everything is. And Gemara talks about how I'm a, we showed him, the Tanayim that remembered, they were like, oh my gosh, what happened to these pomegranates? Everything changed. We, what we have today, every food that you taste, the best food that you tasted today is not as, as good as it's supposed to be. We're going to get it back. So if you like food, there's another reason to wait for Mashiach. Right? You, you're going to have... Oh, I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. We're going to have something back. Now, what happened? So there's... there's Why was the food affected? Everything was affected. The whole world was affected. The, you want, you want to say that the sky is not as clear... Ne- it's not half as clear as it was in the times of Mashiach. Really? On the brightest, clearest day, it's not half as bright as it was back in the day. Is it? In fact, when Mashiach comes, it's going to be... If I have my calculations correct, 349 times brighter than it's now. Wow. Is it our ability to see it, or is it the actual sky? No, no. Like, is it the actual food? No, everything, taste, everything. We can't taste the whole food? world, the whole world was affected, everything in its way. Everything. Man also shrunk. We shrunk in size, we shrunk in capabilities, <laughs> we shrunk in intellect, everything shrunk. The food shrunk, everything shrunk. It, it's just the way the world is. Right. But I'm, even yeah, even before that, when it talks about some of these tanoim, it's it's almost like you think it's exaggerations, and I guess that's one way you can learn they're exaggerations. But on the other hand, there were these people that were you know we don't even know what a human being is, and how it has ramifications regarding the kizayis. There's a long big discussion, right? We all know that Pesach night by the karpas, by the potatoes and the salt water, the kizayis is this big. By the matzah, we're begging our husband and our father to give us like this big or the marer because it was so which one which one is the kizayis? You can't have it both ways. Is the kezayis the, the karpa size or the kezayis the mara size? Well, well, the, answer, the truth of the matter is, I'm not, I'm not here to talk about that, but the, the truth of the matter is that kezayis changed over the years. The Neidi Behudo, Rebbe Cheska Landau, in 1760 in Prague, did a study, and he f- figured out clearly that the, our olives today are half the size of the olives in the time of Beis English. Without a doubt. Our eggs are half the size of the eggs of the Beis English. Without a doubt. So maybe we have a Masuri on the size of Karpas, maybe. That's, uh, that's a joke, what I'm saying. But maybe on the Karpas, we still kept the Masuri, but with Murray, we went with the smallest here. It's a joke. But my point is that everything shrunk. The world shrunk. At the same time as the world shrunk, and this is the dichotomy that we live in all the time, and we don't recognize what's happening. We don't recognize this. But we're just going to point it out. The world, at the same time, as far as we're going from Hashem, seemingly, and from Torah, and from Jewish values... As, and we see it every day being pushed another step. At that same time, we can't see with our own eyes, but the world is coming to a tikkun. The world is becoming more and more perfect. Now, we look at it, we say, how could the world become more perfect? It's becoming more de- decay is happening every moment. But as the Ramchal talks about in Das Tunis and all the other Swamakdashim, that if you would see what's going on behind the scenes, as it's like a yin and a yang. As the depravity and the Gashmis is becoming stronger, so is the Ruchrius. And we're becoming closer and closer to the Tikkun. It's so uh, interesting. Can I ask a question? Sure. I don't even know what's a question more. It's so interesting you're saying that because I always say, like, we keep hearing, oh, because of this, Mashiach's not here, or we're doing so bad. But I'm like, don't listen to those there's people. There's more good than I feel like there's ever been ever in Kali Like, there's so much going on, and we don't hear it. Like, we yeah. don't hear people focusing Change on Change who you're listening to. Yeah, it's not, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, yeah. Yeah. I heard, I, yeah, it's so refreshing. So, so what we were saying is, back to what we were saying, that, that the concept of the world 
is moving in simultaneously, seemingly. And I was telling this to my wife um, when we were just, you know, my wife was uh, in labor and we were, we were having a conversation about different things that, you know, we, we always know that the call of, of Chava was that she was going to have hard, hard childbirth. And it's not easy. I'm, I'm the last one that should even open my mouth about this. I know, I get it. But let's all be honest. Let's put all the mansplaining and women'splaining aside. But let's all be honest. Childbirth today is not what it was 500 years ago. Right. Okay? Can we agree what your grandparents had to, grandmother had to go through for child labor? You, 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 you have it a cakewalk compared to her? Okay? Your grandmother, when they're not knowing if she's coming out, if the baby's coming out, or if, the, if everybody's ending up in a basic choir somewhere. And many of them lost half their children. You see, families of 13 kids and seven died, right, by child. What happened? It, the, the, like Hashem, the curse is running out? You ever wondered that? The curse used to be a much more of a curse. Let's, let's talk about the other curse. Other Mauritian was cursed. That would you know, really work hard to, to bring Parnassah. Let's be honest. Parnassah you have today and your grandparents Parnassah 500 years ago. Is it different? Is it different? It's not comparable. So how, do you, so how do you explain that? The answer is, as the world is becoming further, we're also getting closer. It's happening. And the clawless are sort of, in a way, dissipating. Now, I'm not saying Tzar Gidlbanam has gotten worse. I'm not disagreeing. There are things that have gotten maybe much more, but... We haven't gone through that yet, maybe. Perhaps, perhaps. I don't know. It was definitely much, much easier to raise children back in, in the ghetto. The older time period, let's say, with childbirth was much worse, but now it's better. And, yeah. and so maybe now our time The Ramami Pano says, and the Ramami Pano writes this with one of the Italian Kubalim from the 1500s, 1600s. He writes that as Mashiach's going to come closer, he writes, and he wrote this in the 1600s, so you can't even say, like, you know, oh, you know he, he discovered this today. He says, labor pains are going to get easier. Panos is going to get easier. This is before the Industrial Revolution. This because. As we're, we're coming to a tikkun, we don't see it. Taste is one of those things, and this is the point I want to bring out. Taste is one of those things where it's not the real thing, but like we always say, get a taste of it, right? It says, Akadish Baruch who gave Abraham Avinu a taste of Ganadin in this world. The Gemara says, says, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, maybe David, not David. Those three for sure. The Gemara says, got a taste of Olam Haba in this world. Their life was perfect. Now, obviously, Yaakov had struggles, we know. Yitzhak had struggles, and Avram Vino had struggles. But in a way, their lives were a little bit of a taste of, it wasn't the real thing, it was a taste of what Olam Haba is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to feel like. Taste is not the real thing. When you see something, more times than not, we say seeing is believing. Once you see something, you know what, it's, what you're seeing. When you hear something, you know what you're hearing. When you touch something, you know what you're touching. But taste is literally not the real thing itself. Because that's just... That's artificial. It's just the taste of it. In, in the Rishonim, they have um, there's they categorize everything in the world into th- into this into one of three things. They call it, I don't know if you ever heard this in school. Did they ever categorize things into Arif, Toiv, and Mail? You ever heard of those? Okay. So the Rishonim already the late Rishonim the early Achronim categorize everything in this world either falls into one of these three categories: Arif, Toiv, Mail. Okay. Let's go. Not everything that's sweet is good. Or helpful. Not everything that's good is necessarily sweet or helpful, and not everything that's necessarily helpful is good or sweet. Everything, and I'm not talking about food, I'm talking about everything in this world, falls into either it's good, it's helpful, or it's sweet. Let's give an example. 
knowing math, is that good, helpful, or sweet? Helpful. Helpful. It's not good, and it's not sweet. For a lot of people, very not so. Knowing music, is that helpful, sweet, or good? That's probably sweet. Yeah. Most people will say that's, that's extra credit. I don't need that for my life, but it definitely enhances my life, right? Breathing, is that good, helpful, or sweet? It's good, period, stop. Now, it, it can also, there are certain things in the world that could have two things, right? The Torah is the only thing that has all three things. As the first we talk about, Torah is sweet, we say the Harivna, and it also is helpful in a person's life, and it's also good, inherently. But very few things in this world have two of the three. But there are things that do. You can eat, somebody can say, I love spinach. Now, I don't believe them personally. I don't. But if someone does love spinach, so then that's something that's good for them. I mean, I don't know if it's good. It's helpful and it's sweet if they like it. I don't know if it's necessarily inherently good. Inherently good is something very, very, has to be inherently good. It's usually is. It's usually life itself. Spinach is not going to be inherently good. Talking about spinach being inherently good. We're talking about not eating. No, And everything falls into one of these three categories. Or rarely you'll have something that falls into two out of the three categories. But the, the question's gonna be where do we put the emphasis? Where do you put the focus? Do you choose in life to do the thing that's good, that's helpful, or that's sweet? If I had to choose one? If you had to choose. Good. Mo- Those are you, you, you wish. That's the right answer. But what do you choose? I hear you. What do we choose? We more times than not choose sweet. Sweet is the easy way out. It's pleasurable. We no, go no. for it. It's a quick shot in the arm. It's not, it's not necessarily good for you to have that muffin. It's not, it's not necessarily helpful. But it's sweet. And we could use that. And, and that's what, we're living in a, in a world where sweetness has become... Because we're, 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 not, we're not as real as we used to be. As, as real as we used to be. Just, if I could just break it down. Noyach had three kids. Shame, Cham, and Yafas. Shame was the child that always looked for what's good. He wanted to do what's good. That's a good child. Yafas did what was helpful. If we know anything about Yafas, Yafas was Greek. Um, which is art and language and philosophy. These are things that are helpful, but it's not necessarily good and it's not necessarily sweet. Cham, the slaves, a slave does what he, the moment he needs to do. He's not looking for what's beneficial tomorrow. He's not looking for what's beneficial now. Is it sweet? I do it. If it's not sweet, I don't do it. We're living in a world where Cham has taken over. And take it however you want to take what I'm saying. But Cham has taken over. In more than one way. Where sweetness has become, sweetness has become the, the most important thing in decisions that we make sometimes. We go to Pesach, um, we pick the Pesach place that we want to go to, for those that follow the whatever, based on the best chef, the best entertainment, the best accommodations. I understand. Is that the most spiritually uplifting for you? Is that necessarily the best for your soul? I'm, I'm, not, I'm just giving an example. Don't, I'm just giving an example. It's not necessarily best for you to go to where the chef is the seven-star Michelin chef or where they have every night a different singer and a different entertainer. I, I'm not, we, we're starting to make decisions in this world which are based on... And our grandparents didn't. Our grandparents lived with either what was taiv or what was mild. What was helpful for us or what was good for us. 
We're living in a generation where kids want the here and now, the quick nash. There's a, there's a shelf, of, a, there's an aisle and a half in Evergreen, which is nash. Just an aisle and a half, for goodness sake. Just nash. I love nash like the next guy. I'm not in any way knocking nash, especially since I married a Pashkis. So we, we're, we're very happy that the nash company is doing great. But it's a little bit absurd. It, it, let's be honest. Take a step back. It's a little bit absurd that we have one, one whole aisle for cereals. We can't even fill up a whole aisle. But we could fill up an aisle and then some for Nash. That tells us something about the, the, the time that we live in. But that, so at the same time, that at the same time, <laughs> it is, at the same time, as we're becoming more hum-like, that we're going for the instant gratification, at that same time, the world is also, and it's a very hard concept to understand, the world is also becoming closer to its tikkun. It is. We're tasting things. We're going for the taste and not for the actual thing. Hashem had a problem with her eating it, not with her tasting it, perhaps. And that's perhaps, I've, maybe, why women have more taste buds than men. Because I think women understand more, I, I find this to be the case, that they have, the much more they, they make the decisions based on what's the here and now. And it's very important. It's a very important decision. For the child, it's best this. It's for the child, it's best that. For our life, the husband will always be like, yeah, but I don't know if down the road it's good, or this, that, thinking about all the other things. The woman is about what's right now. Now, it's a very important thing. I'm not knocking Arya. When I keep saying that sweet is a bad thing, I don't mean it, and it, all our life decisions can't be. Hopefully when you have a woman that's a sweetie, and you have a husband that's into the mile, they could together, meaning what's, what's beneficial, together they could create what's tayv for their children and for themselves. It's important that the woman focuses on a good muffin and a coffee in the morning and not fast and be available there to be there for her husband and kids. The husband makes the decisions, hopefully, that are smart in the long haul, investing in the, their family's future and what's better. And together, when they merge those two kaychis, we can end up having going for what's tayv, what's overall good for everybody. That's important. And in this generation, we see the women are making definitely the right sweet decisions. Women are much sweeter than men. And, and they are. Women are. That's the way, it, and the way they're supposed to be. But men, and, and scientifically, I know this might rub people the wrong way, but men make the decision that is smarter for the long haul. It's just the way it is. And you need the two together to merge to have a healthy home, to have a healthy children, and to have a healthy society. And it's not only in a personal home. It's in the world. Today they're trying to blend this all together. Men are women and women are men and everybody's confused and everything's mixed up and it's horrible, it's a disaster it's, and it's creating chaos. But, but the way it's supposed to be is, if it would be perfect, is you have Tevin Moyal. Perhaps why there's such an emphasis today on the amount of, the abundance of food and the abundance of good stuff and taking the easy way out is because we're coming to the point where we need this for our Vedas Hashem. The women's role, B'schus Nashem Negalu, we're going to go out because of the nashim. Meaning, we're going to need extra doses of sweetness. The Bells Rebbe used to say, Chinuch in the old days was kugel with one spoon of sugar. Chinuch of this generation is buckets of sugar with a spoonful of kugel. Today, we need to just shower love and love and sweetness and happiness. That's what needs, and that's what the mother provides. And that's what the mother could give and nobody else could give that. Nothing in the world substitutes that. And the world needs that. And we all need hugs. And we all need, we all need, we're not going to wrestle that's going to pull us out of jail. And, and we, that's what we need. And it's important. We need that. But, but the point is, 
The two things that we just, there's a statement out there that the world says. Nobody knows where it comes from. But altam vereach, on taste and smell, English vakech. You can't argue about taste and smell. This is good. No, it's not. This is good. How can you, argue? How can you argue? What you like about this food, I like about this food. And the same thing is with smell. Some people find this smell to be disgusting, and some people find it. The biggest proof is you go into a men's shul, you go into a shul, and you smell some of the perfumes, and you're wondering which husband likes that. It's horrible. But apparently some husbands like that. Or whatever, right? And you have vice versa. Now, Tam v'reach English v'keach. So therefore I decided to go from reach to go into Tam, because Tam is also one of those things that what's sweet for you is not sweet for me. And what's good for your kids and what's good for your family is not going to be good for my family. Seeing is almost universal. Hearing is almost universal. We all hear the same thing. Not necessarily, but more or less. When it comes to touching... It's more or less the same. But when it comes to taste, and that's why I went straight to, from smell to taste, those are two things where it's everybody's on their own. And everybody can make their decisions on their own. Women were given an extra dosage of capabilities to make those things, but then again, everybody's still on their own. And therefore, it's our job to perfect that sense of taste. To perfect what are we choosing for ourselves, for our family, for our kids, for our community, and for our future. Together, to be able to produce the best form of Yidin, what works for your kids doesn't work for your kids. What works for your kids doesn't work for you. Everybody has their own thing, and nobody should be telling everybody else what to do with their kids. Everybody, hopefully, intuitively knows what's best for their kids, hopefully. And if not, they should get, you know, whatever, help to find out what's best for their kid. But the point is, everybody needs to do the arev exactly the way Hashem gave it to them. And if we perfect that, we will come closer to going back to the Chetit Sadas, where we messed up the food. And it says by... What we just started with, why was Yitzhak Avinu so focused on the taste of his food? Think about Yitzhak Avinu, focused on the taste of his food. So the one Av, the one of the Avis that is going to be there for us at the end, the one is Yitzhak Avinu. It says in the Gemara, scary Gemara, Hashem is going to come to, to Avram Avinu at the end of days, and he's going to say, your children sinned. And Avram Avinu is like, so get rid of them, what do you want from me? That's, that's what Avram Avinu is going to say to us, to Hashem. And then Avram, Hashem is going to go to Yaakov and say, your children sinned. And Yaakov is going to say, what do you want from me? So get rid of them. If they didn't behave, get rid of them. And then he's going to come to Yitzhak Avinu. Yitzhak Avinu, meet this Hadin. The person that's so strict and he's scary. And Yitzhak Avinu is going to say, really? I'm not so sure. Let's talk about this. How long is the person going to live? 70 years. 35 years, he's sleeping because half the time he's not available. And then from the 35 years that's left, he's partially in the bathroom, partially eating, partially this, partially that. So what are we left with? 12 and a half years? Okay, you take half, I take half, we call it a day. Yitzhak Avinu. Why is Yitzhak Avinu the father of at the end of time? Because Yitzhak Avinu's sense of smell, was, a sense of taste, was very keen. And he knew, to be, he had a perfected sense of taste. Now, you could say because he was blind. And as we pointed out last time, that anytime you're missing, yes, he was. Yeah, Don't you know he had to but feel Yaakov? You knew that. Old age, fine, right, sure. Old age, right, that's awesome. Yaakov, Yitzhak was blind. So you could say, scientifically, we know that people sure. with a diminished sense have a more increased sense, other sense. So you could say that his taste buds were very, very strong. I'd like to think of it maybe a little <coughs> differently. Yitzchak's sense of taste was very strong because Yitzchak is the father. You wouldn't think that their taste would be stronger. You would think anyway, Any- They all become heightened. They everything become, becomes right, heightened. I'm saying it wouldn't be also, like a everything. compensation wouldn't be. Everything. Ya- look, interesting. Yaakov, when Yitzchak talks about Asik Sparsha, he uses a sense of smell. He says, oh, right? When Yaakov walks in, he sends a smell. Then he says, let me touch you. He touches him. He says, that's what you sound like. And then he says, let me taste your food. 
He uses every one of his senses because he can't because every one of those senses were heightened. Right, for sure. But I'm saying just they're all heightened. Right, but I would think that the hearing would be they're all feel. Yeah, but they all are. Right. They all are. They all are. Right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Hearing usually a blind person can hear better. Right. right? But they all get heightened. So Yitzhak uses that because at the end of days we're going to have a father that's going to be blind to our iniquities and to our sins. Yitzhak Avinu is going to say, "I don't see. You see problems with Klaisol." I don't see. I taste, I have a very strong sense of taste. And I taste good people. I taste good things. So Yitzhak, when he's giving the brachas, when it's the goodbye, because this is the ultimate, this was everything. If Yitzhak get, gives us the Yaakov, we're successful. If he doesn't, we're doomed. Yitzhak gives it to Yaakov and he says, let me taste the delicious food. The delicious food is a way of saying, even though maybe it's not necessarily good, Pepsi, does, their sales didn't increase, but for a second it was sweet, it was tasty, and he was able from there to be able to give the bracha. So therefore, as we get to closer to, to the end of Gullus, yeah, there will be more steak advertisements and more have a Java advertisements. That's what's going to end up happening. Taste is going to become a very important component in our gula, And therefore, since we're so heightened in our achila and our teima, I think that it's due time. And therefore, Hashem hopefully will bring Mashiach ASAP. Amen.